it's nothing personal for me. It's just business. The streets of Baltimore, on the streets of Detroit, during the, the 60s in New York City. Immediately within it, you are going to get those people whose differences are not being articulated, which is right up. So. Expecting any backlash? Oh, I'm already getting it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Super Liddy, I'm damn excited to have Manny Pressman in here. Comedian, sex work activist, noted author. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Manny Press. Hi, yeah. So uh, my name's Manny. I have been doing sex work advocacy for about like a few years now. I've done some work in the past as a dancer. Um, I uh, have tried to venture into camming, but have been too afraid to make the full <laughs> transition into it. But uh, I have always been fascinated at the ways that humans interact with each other, and that was a field in which I got to see a lot of that. I also really love doing uh, stand-up comedy, uh, which I will say is probably 10 times harder than actually dancing. <laughs> like, no no qualms at all about getting naked in front of a room of strangers, but having to actually like talk about my emotional <laughs> process in front of them? Oh, God forbid. What do you see as the role of sex work in the utopia, in, in the perfect world that we can create what does sex work and sex work advocacy look like to you first of all like i think that utopia is while it's something nice to dream about it's also important to understand that like a lot of utopia is like a a white culture ideal as 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 you define a a more harmonious society that is working in right 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 in that case uh i would I would say um, I see sex work as just any other kind of work that people can choose to do because it fulfills them. And like, I think I, I think that like, while not all work and not all jobs have to be like personally fulfilling on like some kind of like spiritual uh, isekai level, you know, it can be fulfilling. Uh, not isekai, ikigai. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> isekai is like other world anime. <laughs> I mean, um, we were talking about the anime life earlier, that's so that's true. why. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I, I see it as just like another job that people choose to do because that's the choice that they want to make. And I think there's something to be said for that. Like, yes, I chose dancing because it was going to be like, you know, financially profitable for me. But it was also like what I liked to do at the time, too. It didn't suck. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're talking about like dancing in person versus what's happening especially with the pandemic online with only fans so how would you define kind right. of how that shaped the so, perception of sex work so i guess what we're seeing is we're seeing like this mass migration into only fans not just from like irl sex workers be it uh, dancers full service um like we're seeing a massive migration to online content because of the fact that we're all stuck at home um, and this isn't a massive migration that doesn't necessarily have uh, a spike in demand, too, because, you know, not as many people are going out and doinking. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, because yeah, we want to maintain our social distancing. Yeah, exactly. But like there's still going to be a need for people to like get their rocks off because that's just a human need. <laughs> like and all of our needs still need to be met even during a pandemic. Yeah. No, big facts. Big facts. So, I mean. How is OnlyFans then kind of shaping what, with this 
huge influx of people going online to get their emotional labor needs fulfilled. Yeah. yeah. But also to get their lusty needs fulfilled. So, so I think what we're seeing is we're seeing like OnlyFans started out as these sort of like red letter jokes, right? Like it OnlyFans started out as like being this like internet punchline. But now like that we're in the middle of a pandemic, suddenly all of these civilians are also like, oh, maybe I should get on OnlyFans too. I'm a capitalist. <laughs> suddenly the stigma starts getting eroded. Yeah. And starts disappearing. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it's sort of like, I, I I think of stigma as like a bouillon cube, right? Like, it's super powerful wow. when it's condensed in a small, like, pinpointed way. But you put it into a boiling pot of water and suddenly everyone's got a little stigma on them. Right. <laughs> and, and now celebrities are joining the, the OnlyFans craze. I read this week that <laughs> Dr. Umar has a fucking OnlyFans. Like, like who are some other celebrities that are... <laughs> Oh, God. What is on the, the Dr. Umar OnlyFans? Oh, oh, my gosh. We're talking about celebrities, but how many um, folks are capitalizing on sex work to become celebrities, like Instagram influencers? Absolutely. I mean, like, it's it's so weird how people will be, like, sex work adjacent, and they'll post, like, everything but in terms of, like, like online thirst traps and stuff like that and things that they can use as, like, influencer marketing campaigns. But they'll never actually, like, do anything to benefit actual sex workers and the people who have had to use this as, like, their form of life uh, or, like, their way of, like, being able to pay for their own life. Yeah, I feel like you... In a previous conversation we had, you used the word that it's sex tourism. People are yeah. coming to visit, hang out. Yeah, like, I think I think about, like, most significantly, uh, one of the first women I ever dated when we were in high school, but, like, later on, we, like, still kept in touch. And she came from, like, a well-to-do background, right? One day, when we were, like, in our early 20s or something, she, like, sent me a text that she was gonna do, like, some full service work. And she was like, yeah, like, well, I don't necessarily need the money. Like, I just like the experience of it. And I'm just what? sitting here like, what? You're just making this, like, a spicy one night stand where you're getting paid when this is like literally a way of life for some people like I get it you want you really liked Lana Del Rey when you were 16 but you didn't have to take it this far wow yeah like it's 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 so it's stunning um to a certain degree and like I also think about like Lana Del Rey as like a as like a symbol of these kind of girls right of cherry emoji twitter (laughs) (laughs) where it looks cute and then you could just be like well you know <laughs> yeah, like like listening to blue jeans and being like, oh, like I like to think of myself in like some film noir Sofia Coppola movie where like I'm a girl from the suburbs who like plays a stripper. Like, <laughs> right. But I just need to find that man with a heart of gold, <laughs> hair flip, breeze. Yeah, like literally. That's literally like uh what her plot line was in the in the music video for Gods and Monsters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean facts. like Okay, so speaking of Lana Del Rey and, you know, people coming in as tourists, what are your thoughts on the Bella Thorne situation? Uh, and can you give gross. us, can you give context to our audience? Right, right. So uh, Bella Thorne joined OnlyFans and cleared a million dollars in a single day uh, based on the uh, subscription-based social media platform. And she set her price at like $20 per month for a subscription to her stuff. Um, but almost immediately, there was this huge blowback, right? Because, because there's there's an expectation, right, with OnlyFans it, that you're going to see spicy content, yeah, perhaps, that it's but no guarantee, right? Right, right, right. There's, so there's no uh, guarantee or a stipulation that says OnlyFans has to be not safe for work content. Um, and to and like to their credit, like it wasn't all just Bella Thorne, right? There was also a bunch of like 
uh, jokes that would pop up on Twitter like, I make an OnlyFans except it's just videos of me crying or I make an OnlyFans except it's just videos of me like cooking in my kitchen. And like That's a lot of people fact. joke about OnlyFans or joke about making an OnlyFans but making it for not safe or for like not not safe for work reasons. So do you think people do that as a way to denigrate and devalue sex work as, oh, you know, well, I never said like benefiting off of, hey, this is a platform that's considered for sex work. But, hey, I'm just going to be on here crying. And that's just the same yeah, thing. Yeah. Like it's it's, you know, like cherry emoji, sad girl, Twitter <laughs> jokes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, so Thorn, like isn't technically a sex worker. Some people are like, oh, but she's worked in pornography before because she like directed a Pornhub film. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's yeah. exactly, the, like you said, that's exactly the same as me trying to make a living off of exactly. paying my bills. Exactly, off of like making my own content. And it's not like she even started her own content or anything. She just directed it, um, which is like a wildly different thing than being an adult performer yourself. Um so she created this OnlyFans, kind of like advertised it as like spicy content, and then it wasn't entirely all that spicy. People started like getting chargebacks. Uh, it created like a new set of restrictions and rules in OnlyFans that ended up having like and harming the bottom lines of actual independent like um, individual content creators. Yeah, uh, it changed the payment policy of it to protect the consumers and not the people who are creating the content themselves. Of course, mm-hmm. where it's monetizing, even though you guys are creating the content. But like, <laughs> I hate yeah. that. It's a YouTube model. It's yeah. really what I want to say. Exactly. It's so interesting because I remember in the early internet, what we used to call these type of algorithms were worms. Programs that don't steal all of your money, but they take a nibble out of an- every transaction that's happened. And what we're starting to see with these type of organizations is they're literally monetized, legalized worms where people are making commercial transactions and these worms nibble off of each transaction. And it's a business model now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so another topic um, that comes up with sex work a lot, of course, is how racism plays a part in it. And of course, racism plays a part in everything. We try to ignore it. We're like, oh, no, this is an egalitarian career or field. And that's just not the case. Yeah, it's absolutely not true. Like, it, And I think there is like a very specific subset of like sex worker advocate that's like, you know, a white woman who like may or may not be queer, but like whose primary mode of being othered or marginalized in society has been through the lens of sex work. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes like their the like a myopic view of like work and labor rights just through the lens of only sex work and what is most profitable to sex workers. And ignoring like the axis of race, ignoring the mm-hmm. axis of like racial fetishization and like the racialization of certain women versus others. Right. Yeah. Cause it's like, okay, well, black women who want to get into sex work have to fight the stereotype of being hypersexual. Sexualize. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that happens with Asian women too because of all of the things where they're like, well, I just want a cute anime girl. It's like hentai. And it's like, well, Asia is a huge fucking continent, one, but also, ew, gross. Oh, yeah. Like, that's gross. Like, oh my God, are you like a geisha? Like, oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I remember when I first started dancing, uh, when I was dancing in Richmond, which was rough. Like, it was, it was so good to be able to move to the DC, like, strip scene because it was just so much better. Yeah. So much like the culture was better to the women. Uh, the labor laws here are better. We'll get to right. that later. But like, especially in Richmond, like 
just two hours south and the racial divide was so much more pronounced. Yeah, I can, I can see that having lived in the South and friends who are sex workers talking about that, where it's people treat sex workers or try to dehumanize them a lot. But when you bring in those racial dynamics of it and and that uh, you speak to it, too, that sense of entitlement to women's bodies, but then the bodies of women of color specifically built on kind of all of those racist stereotypes, but also kind of building on you are not a person or a human being. You're something here to entertain me. Yeah, it's a colonizer's like fetishization is what it is. And it's like it's a colonizer mindset. I mean, like I think of most vividly when I first started dancing, there was this guy who was like known to be a big spender in the club, uh, like constantly getting champagne rooms and stuff like that. And so I was told to like make a good impression with him and that he liked like thick Asian girls. So I was like, okay, I'll be able to work this, I guess. So I go up and I'm about to introduce myself. I don't even get my name out. And this guy asks, so are you a gook or a <gasps> other slur that I can't say? Right. Oh my yeah. God. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh. Another place where I've heard this a lot and I have curiosity as to whether or not you would consider this sex work because I've seen this to be a, a somewhat controversial conversation is um, in burlesque where black Ugh. women are treated absolutely horribly. So like it's so like burlesque is sort of like I, I liken it to um, burlesque is to stripping the way that like old-timey mustaches and hair care are too weird culture now. I like, love it, your metaphors for all of this. Yeah, Keep going. I yeah. love it. Like, it, it might have been the root of where this actually came from historically, but now it is what, like, the colonizers, like, sideline people who are putting it on for show are doing. But I kind of feel like I see this with... Because pole dancing competitions now. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it you who said... Oh, well, you if you had ever been a stripper in the past, you can't even compete in these competitions, yeah. which is wild to me. In pole fitness contests, especially ones where you can win money, you have to be like you have to be the representative of a specific studio. Yeah. And certain studios will not let you be their representative if you are a professional pole dancer. But they're so, banking <laughs> off of all, all of the culture, the, yeah, yeah. the culture of what strippers have done. And I kind of feel like burlesque does that too like oh well we straddle the line we but you don't get to see anything it's just the allure and yeah. an enigma and yeah. fantasy and it's like okay but strippers also present that fantasy yeah. and offer that also like you were the original strippers like don't even don't even Facts. try to yeah don't even try to like don't even try to twist that narrative because that's what it is i mean like and i think about like what burlesque dancers said prior to cardi b and what dancers or and what burlesque dancers say like in the era of cardi b onward like they wouldn't they wouldn't put themselves even closer Close to like on the level of a stripper prior to Cardi B becoming like you know the cultural yeah. icon that she is in doing so like really being a huge advocate for strippers and for sex workers yeah so let me let me ask you a question this tangential what would you say are the intersections if any between sex work and care work would you define both and how they relate if at all I so I say that sex work and care work are like two circles and there is some overlap in a bit of a Venn diagram. I think that where they overlap is that they are both feminized forms of labor or like labor that we have attributed to like AFAB people in society or to folks who are socialized into a more feminine role in society. Care work can be anything from like therapeutic uh, treatments, nursing, child care, any kind of work where you were providing nourishment or providing like care 
for another person, that's like care work. And then sex work is, you know, pretty self-explanatory. It's a kind of like sexual labor that you perform for another person. These are two forms of labor, which for a long time were considered to be like labor that like women in AFAB folk had to provide for free. Yeah. Um, and like, I think that is a where a big part of like the demonization of sex work comes in, right? Because like, oh, how dare you like women? How dare you like feminine people? Like capitalize off of these forms of labor that you ex- yeah. that we expect you to give away for free, that we feel entitled to. And right. that's where a big part of that like male sense of entitlement comes in and that patriarchal entitlement comes in. Right. And also that it's that sex work is sex workers are obligated to provide that form of intimacy. Yeah. I kind of, cause I kind of feel like it ties back into toxic masculinity and they talk about it a lot in the U S because we're touch starved country where everything, any way you touch someone, especially a member of what's considered the opposite sex is always a precursor to, well, you guys made out, you had sex yep. or you can't touch them because you had sex. Why are you hugging? You guys are going to have sex and how that has eroded our ability to just have a lot of platonic affection and touching. And that now sex workers have to bear even more of the brunt and weight of that physical intimacy and also emotional intimacy. I don't think I can think of a single sex worker who hasn't had a client like blur the blinds emotionally, right? And like put a lot more emotional weight on the relationship than the sex worker ever consented. Yes. I think think that brings us back to, again, some interesting intersections as far as like how culturally uh, accepted the sex work is. For example, the geisha relationship where sexuality was a huge part of that, but only one one component. So so I will actually interrupt that because it wasn't actually the geishas who were part of ceremonial prostitution and sex work in Japan. They're actually these women named Oiran who are actually considered to be um, like status wise above geishas yeah especially in forms of like regalia and stuff like that i I mean like there's entire like festivals almost where or processions where they come down the street and they're wearing like these two foot tall platform geta like yeah i mean like it's a a a whole celebration yeah it's a celebration of them and their work and their labor and how beautiful they are and i mean like one of the biggest uh, differences between geisha and oiran is that uh, geisha you'll touch They'll have their OB tied and folded in the back, but yeah. Oidan will have it tied and folded in the front so that it's easier for the client to get to okay. business. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, it's really interesting how, like, there's a very, like, Madonna horror complex kind of demonization in the West yeah. of sex work where that isn't the case in other cultures in the world. Which is... I won't say it's funny or ironic, which is um, interesting because the only I feel like part of the reason the West was even populated in the United States is because of sex workers where they went out and they helped draw the men and the miners and the diggers to the desert, essentially. And of course, the men married those women. They became wives, but they also built businesses and the American story of like how we came to be, of course, erodes and erases all of that history. Yeah. And I mean, like Manifest Destiny wouldn't have been financed without sex workers and the money that they created and like built towns with. You can yeah. you can look into the history of the West and most actual towns and settlements after the boom were built and financed by women sex workers can you speak some more on the the culture of like physical money and how it's tied to the economy of sex work right but also what it means to because i mean also what it means to dance or do sex work in during a pandemic yeah so like the the 
the culture of cash and sex work, especially in strip club culture, is like so fundamental to like what is appealing about the culture in the first place, right? Like strip club culture is cash culture. It's like throwing, it's throwing bands, it's throwing dollars, it's conspicuous spending in a way that you can like physically and tangibly feel and touch. It's almost like, it, I mean, like it's like an opulence of like the physical and tangible, right? Yeah. Like, that's what it is. And I mean, like, that's that's one of the things that, like, I'm going to miss the most about <laughs> just having cash in hand, yeah, not even cash in hand. Like, there is a very specific kind of like material joy in being surrounded by dollars on a stage and yeah. being like, I can buy all of my friends breakfast with this. Like, right. Okay, yeah, because like, you could see it. <laughs> yeah, and like there's there's a, and like I don't know what it is about DC clubs especially, maybe it's just the clubs that I worked at and the girls I worked with, but there was like this culture of like, if I eat, we're, we're eating, like we're oh, all eating. Man. Yes, the community! <laughs> like that's, and I think that's, that's something that happens when you have like better labor laws for dancers like you have in DC versus like in Virginia. Okay, so what's the difference between the laws in DC and the laws in Virginia because you've already said that DC offers better protections but what does that yeah. mean so it's like just baseline shit right like in DC we are considered hourly hourly tip workers like a bartender or a waitress versus in Virginia where we were all independent contractors and Virginia is basically like all of the other states or like all of the other territories in this country yeah where like you're an independent contractor everything you make is on a 1088 or like a what is it schedule C your own business right 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 yeah. where so, you're having to essentially pay your own taxes yeah where you're paying your own taxes you're basically taking taking out like 30 percent of your income and having to like file that away not only not for savings for yourself but for taxes right and like there's also this culture in the strip club where like management will not pay other employees what they should be getting paid for a livable wage and then they put pressure on dancers to like supplement the income of all so of the other employees yeah you have to there's what? there's always a house fee on top of like being your own business there's always like having to supplement the income of the other employees because the fucking managers and like owners don't want to pay them a living wage like oh my god so once again profiting off of your bodies and then not even giving you the bulk of what like not even letting you keep the bulk of the income you literally made just yeah. in that moment. You yeah. have to share it with the whole. Yeah, wow. I, call, I call it the neon pink tax. Like, <laughs> hey, <laughs> but but no, I mean, like it's 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 like really super shitty. But in D.C., we're considered like tipped hourly employees, so we actually get like part of our taxes covered by that hourly income, even though it's not very much. And also, like very very specifically in the scope of this pandemic, like having employee status allowed us to be able to get unemployment. That is something that dancers all across the country oh. were struggling with because as they were like schedule C their own business, yeah. they couldn't file for unemployment like, you insurance because they didn't pay unemployment taxes. That's fucked up. Yeah. And it, it also means like you don't have access to healthcare and all of the other things. Wow. Okay. So, so we're talking about like good laws versus the worst laws or poorer laws that protect sex workers. But in, in this way, then can we talk about what does a good client look like or what would, if you had the option change about the culture or perception of sex work? So honestly, um, like what a good client looks like looks different to everyone, right? 
Um, but I think what what will be like the uniting factor and like what makes a good client is someone who like uh, is someone who like clearly communicates like what they're looking for, what their boundaries are, both like financially in terms of like what they can spend, yeah, and like emotionally in terms of like what they feel comfortable with and physically as well. And then they say like, hey, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'd be willing to pay. And then the dancer will say like, okay, like this is like the amount that I charge for it. The person agrees and like doesn't try to haggle. Um, and then like. Sorry. Sorry, they they try to haggle. Oh, absolutely! Even like even extreme poverty. Even in like the con, uh, what is it? Even in the context of like being in a strip club and like there are lap dance prices that are on the menu. Uh, Yeah, it's pretty visible. Yeah, they'll try to like haggle with you, and it got to the point where like clubs would have to create like a club wide menu. And so, like, women would say, like, oh, like, I'm sorry, you can't haggle because, like, it would be one thing if it was, like, just me setting the prices, but it's the club setting the prices because, like, men are more likely to value something if it's a rule that another man set than if it's, like, the bodily autonomy of of a single woman just being like, oh, I don't feel like you should be able to do that. Oh, man. (laughs) And then talk about those dynamics, too, because uh, talking about bodily autonomy and and primarily women non-binary folks being in the sex work industry but when we're talking about who owns the strip clubs who owns platforms like OnlyFans, are we seeing former sex workers or current sex workers or even any women non-binary folks at the top i think that you'll see that there is a huge shift in culture in clubs where like women who have like been in the industry work as managers at a club versus a club where it's like all of the management is just like all run by men there is a significant difference in like the happiness of the dancers and like the overall environment of the club when that happens. Is this something culturally that has changed? Because like I think about when I think about um, the culture of sex work that you that is presented for like the Wild West. There's always the the representation of the madam that owns you know the the house of pleasure. Whereas in traditional contemporary times, you don't think about too many women that own strip clubs. Yeah, yeah. So like we do see a little bit of a shift of this because what it used to be was it used to be a culture of like clubs that were primarily owned by men, but there would be like a house mom who like was basically a non-official employee who like was the emotional support for all the girls, checked to make sure all the girls were there, enforced management policy at the individual dancer level and like created an emotional bonding point for girls to the club because like girls wouldn't swear loyalty to a club, but they could swear loyalty to a house mom. Now, Now we're starting to see a bit of a shift where instead of house moms, we're seeing a lot of clubs, especially on like the East Coast or like newer city clubs or like new culture clubs will have more like actual women in management uh, mm-hmm. versus having like the house mom culture. Okay. Um, but you can also see like, especially like women managers who are like of the boomer or older generation, definitely still base a lot of their managerial style on like the house mom culture. Yeah. Yeah. What, if anything, would you say are the remaining stigmas associated with sex work and how can we combat those as a culture trying to evolve and become more sex positive? <laughs> the I think the biggest and most like insidious one is the idea that like oh if you're a sex worker you're emotionally damaged or you're traumatized right Um, oh yeah where it's you can't be into this unless it's what freud's outdated modes of psychology Mm -hmm. yeah like you have to have some horrific level of trauma to be interested in sex work by any degree which is like just one untrue and two like super shitty because everyone is carrying trauma big facts like oh, (laughs) oh 
If you're a sex worker, then you probably have a brain that functions sometimes. <laughs> right. Crazy. And that's not at all like a function of you being a human. <laughs> right. I was like, whose brain is reliable 100% of the time? Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, stand out to me the most is, you know, the, the guy from the country who works at the coal plant, who spends his Saturdays watching UFC, bemoaning on the internet people that sell their body for money. Yeah. Yep, literally, literally. Like, oh, you're gonna you're gonna talk shit about like a full service sex worker for taking bodily autonomy when you're literally like spending all of your weekends screaming at imaginary men on a screen. Oh my god. <laughs> because they didn't so do the balls work good enough. <laughs> they did the ball wrong. They did the ball wrong. The goal was the other way. <laughs> This has been EMP and Decriminalize Humans. Big facts. <laughs> oh.